All right, Rocket City Podcast, welcome today. We have a special guest here, a science fiction novel author, SJ Kincaid. How's it going, SJ? Uh, great. How are you doing? Good. So the first question I want to ask you is, I know that your dream when you were younger was to be an astronaut. I wanted to know how that dream evolved to you being a science fiction author. And yeah. Okay. Um, well, I guess I would say it evolved to being a science fiction author in part because there were certain things I was pretty good at from the time I was young, um, telling stories or, you know, I always loved writing them. Um, and with things that I was not naturally, didn't have sort of a natural ability and I was always kind of lazy and that's kind of defined my life. I've always been a well, probably profoundly lazy in a lot of ways. So um, when it came to pursuing a career as an astronaut, I mean, I pretty much, I really wanted it. I sort of ended up giving up on the idea in high school and math started getting really hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd put off taking physics in high school until, um, you know, I'd done the math and would I knew I'd be in a position to be able to understand it better. And by the time that, you know, I'd finished chemistry and biology. I mean, I reached the physics level and I was like, okay, I finished the required math, so I'm done with it, taking it. <laughs> so um, that's that's what set the course of my career with not being an astronaut. Um, and uh, I think what led to science fiction writing is just I always loved it. I always loved watching science fiction as a kid. Um, I was a very huge Star Trek fan when I was a kid and was very into it. And then... For, for years, you know, around middle school and high school, I just pretended that, you know, I wasn't into it until, uh, you know, college. One time I was coming back from a bar with a couple of friends. I was like, guys, I really like Star Trek. And they did, too. And it was awesome. And, like, I realized, oh, it's okay to love these things. And uh, I've always been into Star Trek or TV science fiction. I, I've read s some of the adult science fiction, but mostly was TV watching and movie watching and stuff like that. So I've always been into that type of story. Um, I just love the fact that there are so many possibilities with science fiction. You can literally do anything. And you can you can have sco the scope of the story where the stakes are just huge. It could be the destruction of the universe or, yeah. you know, just stuff like that. And it's fascinating to me I feel like anything you can do in fantasy for instance you could pretty much figure out how to do in science fiction you know like elves or elves and Vulcans are pretty comparable in a way yeah. and you know so I love I just really like everything about it and I've always liked writing and so it just kind of I ended up veering into science fiction I think that's amazing that you say that um have you you probably heard too where like do what you love right and yeah trying to figure out career wise yeah but there's a lot of do what your what your strengths are or focus on what your strengths are and double down on that at least mm -hmm. that's why i hear from a lot of the self-development community yeah. and it sounds like you did that where you're where in my instance too mm -hmm. i wanted to be astronaut or go to space in a mm -hmm. way or be an engineer and i i failed calculus and oh. it was it is very similar where i'm like okay well i'm not good at that did so you what like can calculus? i do I did not. I loved algebra. It came to me like that. Oh my that. God, I'm the same way. I was great with algebra. As soon as I got to geometry, suddenly I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. Oh my gosh, it's crazy because yeah. this same happened to me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like geometry was so just, okay, shapes and yeah, that and then sine, cosine, tangent. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's... Okay, this is not working for me. <laughs> I got the calculus and yeah. I was like, no. Yeah. But, Same exact story, so. Yeah. Well, I think that's really good uh, that, you you know, you realize. It, 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 I think a lot of people put off what they really love and they, they push it down. And they're like, I can never be that. I can never be the artist yeah. or the musician or stuff. I need to be a doctor or something like that, right? Yeah, a and, lot of people. And I think also it requires a certain level of will and drive to be able to do that. Yeah. Because, you know, some people are just, if, you know, so most, a huge number of people, if they weren't good at, math like you know but they had the dream side had they would just like been like okay you know the hero of a story would probably do it like i'm gonna buckle down i'm gonna figure out how to fight my way through this and i was just never that person you know so yeah i I kind of admire that trait but um i don't think it would have been fulfilling in the end oh that trait is very admirable where you know you go against what you don't really want to do but i think uh einstein said a quote somewhere where he would be like the worst janitor ever he'd be like the laziest (laughs) janitor but his theoretical physics he's you know he's a god at it he didn't say necessarily that in his quote i can't remember his quote exactly it's along those lines i think i i was reading something some story about how einstein like wandered into some shop in princeton or something he's like i'm albert einstein i'm I don't know where I'm, where I <laughs> like how to get back home from here. Can you tell me? <laughs> he was already like this genius and r- yeah. renowned for that. And uh, but the little basic things about the details about just day to day life like could sometimes elude him. And that's interesting. It's just how people's brains work very differently from each other, you know. And uh, yeah, he had a mind that could just do unfathomable things to the rest of us. And yet he, you know. There were probably, I think with everyone there, if you have a strength in one area, you have some deficits in another. And, you know, I guess it's up to you what you do with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, in science fiction writing, mm-hmm. did you do a lot of the research behind like the technology and the science? And how, how did that evolve to the actual writing? Was that difficult to understand a lot of that? Um, you know, I, I knew a lot about space just because I was interested in it. Um, I try to research when I don't know something. Okay. Um, and I've had friends who have been um, rocket scientists or something. So if, if I know go. someone who knows a lot more than me, I'll ask them. They're like, it, could this work? Because, you know, I think originally when I wrote the draft of Diabolic, I kept referring to what I refer to in hi- in the book is hyperspace. So I was talking about subspace. And they're like, that just, that, what is that? That's the wrong term. That wouldn't be the right thing. It'd right. be have to be hyperspace and you know stuff like that so and then just to some extent sometimes i'll take some liberties like um i went to this science fiction conference with when i was writing the insignia series and they have to make that story work people had to have instantaneous communication across the solar system which wouldn't happen in real life and so um there's a panel of these three astrophysicists so i asked them it's like is there any theoretical possibility that would be plausible with fast and light communication and or light speed, you know, instantaneous communication across great distances. And they were just like, oh, no. <laughs> so oh, like, really? Yeah. So so I said, OK. So I kind of like decided, OK, it's entangled protons. And I didn't go into detail. They said like okay. the guy I talked to, Guy Consul Maggio, I think that's his name. He He's some astronomer with the Vatican. And uh, he oh, suggested wow. like... Well, just sort of fudge the details. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's so I try to fudge the details when I don't quite 
when it's just it can't be conceivable i mean there's there are two types of sci-fi there's soft sci-fi and there's hard sci-fi and uh, hard sci-fi are these people who are a lot of the time they're written like the martian that would be hard sci-fi someone who intimately understands math science engineering and they figure out how to make things plausible and that guy he um he actually andy weir i think uh he posted chap wire probably he posted chapter by chapter on his blog and he had um a lot of people in the field who were critiquing as he went along to figure out what worked and what didn't and uh i thought and that's amazing and i really admire it i i write soft sci-fi so okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and, and i try a, to get it as plausible as possible yeah but, and he's like a computer scientist and he yeah he, yeah, he, he was so into space he knows <laughs> what yeah. he's talking about yeah, he and it's just without that education it's it's i just don't or a genius mind i just don't think it's quite possible to understand enough to really get everything exactly but I get as close as I can. If something blatantly breaks the laws of physics, I try not to do that. So, yeah, yeah and and I think that that's amazing because I mean, there's still a lot of new things coming out in science all the time. That's and true. It could be possible. That's true. I mean, saying. there are things that we thought were impossible years ago. So, right. exactly. Yeah. And I read your book, Insignia. I loved it. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. I read the first chapter, then I went away on vacation, and I thought uh-huh. I would read the rest of the book. And vacation is. just kept me away from it and then i read the book or read the second chapter and i couldn't stop and wrote um read the rest for 12 hours straight (laughs) so i love the book i told you i already ordered the second book so check it out insignia what inspired you to write this series um with insignia uh at the time i was an unpublished author still well it was my debut so I'd written six other books that I couldn't sell. And um, okay. with number seven, I had sort of started, I had two different ideas. Um, I really loved the movie Starship Troopers. So okay. I kind of wanted to write some sort of school setting type thing that was kind of had the tone of Starship Troopers. Um, and I was in nursing school at the time. So I was in my mental health rotation and... I, it was a very, it was an intensive like 13 month program. So we'd have eight hours of classes a day. And um, it wasn't until the summer of that program when I kind of had a little extra time where I could write at all. And I had this idea for, you know, a war fought in space and something where these two rivals were on either side of this world war. And somehow between the two of them they affected and changed the outcome of history essentially so that was basically the tom reigns and medusa character of insignia and (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) well and so um you know since i had a little extra time and I'd had six books that I couldn't sell previously. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of at this point where I was like, I, I was in nursing school and I wasn't doing very well in nursing school. Um, again, speaking to strengths and weaknesses, uh, I was sort of finding out a lot of my weaknesses that made me not the yeah. best nurse. <laughs> you know, I miss details. I, they just don't register in my brain. So um, since I was really starting to struggle a bit in nursing school I realized okay I have this idea for this book and it's sort of this I keep getting more and more ideas while I'm especially in mental health class because insignia features 
um, these kids who get implanted with computers in their brains and all the implications of that. And um, since I was in mental health, it kept giving me different ideas about neural elasticity and just how the computers would affect these brains. And so um, I was like, I either write this now or I write it never, you know, because I, I figured since I was just so inept at nursing, I, I couldn't risk coming out in a few months and graduating, becoming a nurse, and then being a hazard to my patients rather than a help. So I was like, I'm going to stop writing. Once I've written this one, I'm just going to write this one last idea, oh my get gosh. it done. And uh, so I just like, Insignia, I wrote that in basically a month and a half, pretty much. And it sold, so, <laughs> you know. Um, but the idea, basically, it was, I just kept getting different ideas because of the classes I was taking and things I was studying. So. Yeah. It took you a yeah. month to write that whole month book? Month and a half. Okay. Month and a half, yeah. And then you, it sold in your other six books? Like, normally, how, how, how long did it take to write one of those books? Um, those took longer. It always takes longer, for me especially, once you're under pressure and once there's expectations. Uh, right. They have something called the second book syndrome. And uh, with Vortex, I definitely had that because... Um, you know, second book is generally the first book a writer has under contract. And so it means that they already, you've already been partly paid for it. You have a delivery date, you need to get it to the publisher. And um, there's always, even though I'd written six books that hadn't sold before that, um, there was suddenly this thought in my mind, like, what if that was just a fluke and I can never write something that well again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, for a while with Vortex, I was just really struggling with that story because, I mean, I was staying up every other night to right. rewrite and reproof and reread and stuff like that. And for, for a while, I was like, oh, my God, this book is going to drive me insane, you know. And uh, I finally got that out of the way. And by the time I'd finished Vortex, I had all the ideas for book three. And so book three was a lot easier than Vortex. Um but on average, my books my books have not taken a month and a half. Um, with Diabolic, which was the next book that I sold, because after the, insig the Insignia contract is for three books. So Diabolic um, was serve after a period. I had about two years when I wrote three different books that I then couldn't sell after Insignia. And I was like, oh, man, oh, wow. I can't believe I'm back here. I'm back at the uh, unpublished author phase. I started going to a nursing refresher course because I was like, OK, I need to focus on my career. And uh, of course, once I was in the nursing refresher course, I sold Diabolic. So it's like the universe being like, don't be a nurse, <laughs> you know. Um, but with Diabolic, um, it was the first one after the Insignia series where I was kind of really oddly intrigued by the characters. I just had the beginning of it at first, and it was just a scene of the main character, Nemesis, meeting this girl named Sidonia, and um, Nemesis notices. And I just had this page and a half. I don't even remember writing it, but I kept coming back to this one page and being like, what is the story here? Because, you know, there's something about it that interested me. And Nemesis... She meets Sidonia and she notices that she's she has a nose that's never been broken, which kind of implied to me it's like, okay, so Nemesis has had a sort of a violent life in a way, and she yeah. takes for granted that everyone else has had that. And then Nemesis also thinks in that first page and a half, like, so this is what a real girl looks like. And, you know, 
which leads to the implication Nemesis is not a real girl. And I still don't remember writing that page and a half, but I kept coming back to it. And then a bit at a time, I'd sort of add more and more to the diabolic. And then suddenly I had a book and it sold. So, um, but that, again, that one I just did over time. I only did it when I was inspired. And it's hard as soon as you have a contract, as soon as you have expectations, you know, um, you can't really have that lackadaisical process of just waiting for things to happen. So. Right. Right. And, and it's so interesting that that that's your breakthrough while you're studying, <laughs> studying mental health too. And yeah. I think that really helped you. It's almost like, um, Steve jobs talking about how he took mm-hmm. his, uh, calli- a calligraphy class. Oh really? And that's what helped him, um, make the font better in, um, you know, Apple computers. Oh, I hadn't read that. Yeah. And so like little tools where he Mm. always talks about, you don't connect the dots looking forward, you connect them looking backwards. And that, that helped you, uh, figure out everything, including what you just said about diabolic, I think. Yeah. And that's interesting. And well, it's like you have to stimulate your brain some other way. Right. You know, when I've tried just doing the writing alone and that's all I'm doing, not working or anything else anywhere else. Um, not taking classes and it's like something sort of fades with your brain it's like you're not interesting it's like but something too similar to writing when I've tried doing I tried I started doing a writing master's and it was just too similar that it took away from whatever goes into writing so your brain needs something stimulating well my brain yeah well (laughs) I don't want to apply to everyone but I feel like your brain needs something stimulating in a different area to get more fuel for the other part, you know? Right. So. And, and always doing something and then it just, it might feed into what you yeah. want to do. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> um, your, your acknowledgement page was so cool because <laughs> you, it, when I read it, like most acknowledgement pages for me, when I read it, it just seems like, thank you. He helped inspire me to read this book. I don't know. That's the implication I get. Yours seems so personal. Um, about that, who inspired you when you were younger the most to write maybe, or, like what did, was there somebody maybe a teacher or some mentor that you had? Um, well, it's definitely probably foremost my older sister. She's okay. um, four years older, and she knew from the time that she was <coughs> sorry, she knew from the time that she was like in third grade that she wanted to be a writer, and she she's actually tech, she's a much better writer than me, and she's writes beautifully, and um, but she always knew she wanted to do that, and. I, um, since I was four years younger than her, I was kind of that younger sibling who kind of did everything she did. Okay. Like I would just serve, you know, (laughs) whatever she's doing, I'd try to do it at that time. And so I started writing really young because my sister really liked to write, you know? And, um, and so it just became a hobby of mine that I always had throughout my childhood. So... That's pretty cool. So it, does she have any published books? And she stuff does. Like that? Oh, okay. uh, she is published under the name Meredith Duran. Okay. And she has, uh, I think it's like 12 books out. They're romance novels. And they're, okay. she's she's so smart. She um, she knows the history. And she, she really, uh, and her prose is just incredible. And so it's like, yeah, she, um, she was published before I was. And she actually won a contest that uh, on gather.com and she came out in first place. And so she's been with uh, Simon and Schuster with uh, Pocket Books oh, wow. ever since. And um, 
So I kind of like was writing in secret. And so I kind of did it, you know, on my own afterwards. So I was, I was able, like when I sold my book to be like, tell but I told her first that I yeah. had something with an agent right now. And I only showed her insignia. I didn't show her the first six. And then she's like, you should really like find an agent. I was like, well, I have an agent. It's on submission. And <laughs> she was, uh, she didn't know that that was happening. And then I was able to tell my parents the night that I sold it. I was like, by the way, um, I've been writing all these years. And this was one week before graduating nursing school. And they're oh, wow. like, oh, wow. And I was like, and I just sold three books to Harper Collins. And they're kind of like, yeah. So, um, instant yeah. success overnight. <laughs> where, where did all both our daughters? Holy cow. That's That's cool though. Holy cow. Yeah. But oh. so Meredith is definitely yeah. the big inspiration. Okay. So, yeah. That's pretty neat. Do you, I, I'm just proposing my idea. Do you and your sister have any ideas to like, uh, work together potentially you know, a science a we've science fiction romantic <laughs> romance we've thought science about it romance. um we've talked about it a few times but it has not materialized quite yet so okay. you know uh i mean i write for young adults and she writes for adults so it's kind of you know different directions in a way gotcha yeah. i mean you never know one day i'm just proposing oh. it out there in, yeah. in the universe maybe it'll take off that'd be really <laughs> cool i don't know that's re- that's really cool though that i didn't know that about your sister and She's a big inspiration for you. Yeah. Um, uh, so you graduated from nursing school. Where Where are you from? And uh, why don't you tell the audience that you attended? Where did you attend well, university? Originally, I'm from Alabama. Um, okay. And uh, lived in Texas for a bit. And then mostly grew up in California. And um, okay. then I sort of moved around for school. Um, I was in New Hampshire. And then I was in Illinois. And then I went to nursing school in Ohio. So all around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, I find it hard staying in one place for a while. So, you know, trying trying to figure out somewhere, you know, it's it's tricky moving around a lot. So, yeah. 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 I moved around quite a bit, too. And it, it's it's difficult. What um, Where are you from? I'm from uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Originally, okay. huh. I've lived in like New York City, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, New York City. I've never lived there. You never lived there? Uh-huh. I feel yeah. like you would like it. <laughs> I, I was in Chicago, but it was so it was such a big city, you know. Yeah, yeah. New York's big, and you'll probably get the same feeling or similar <laughs> feeling like Chicago. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you if a lot of people overwhelm you or not, but yeah. it can the <laughs> hustle and the bustle. Mostly, I worry about my car. <laughs> you know, I was in Chicago the whole time. I was just constantly worried about my car getting towed or ticketed or whatever else broken into you know yeah if you ever wanted to live in the city just you should probably just get rid of your car (laughs) but it would probably be more convenient honestly new york city especially i mean you can get around so well there so yeah Yeah. i I mean i live so cheaply it was crazy really where were you i uh my that's that's a whole another story really um i moved there with a thousand dollars in a backpack uh, that's and impressive. It, it was wow. it was a crazy experience. I was going through a lot, and I was just like, I just want to get out of my parents' house, and <laughs> I was depressed. And yeah. me, and my ex from like high school, got back together. She was going to school in New York City. That was another motivator. Oh. So I was like, All right, I'm going. Peace. And yeah, I hopped around in Airbnbs and like hostels oh, really? and stuff. Yeah. What yeah. borough were you in? I was mainly? in mainly in uh, Union Square area. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. 
Um, but all around, I've, I mean, I've been to hostels, Airbnbs all over the place. Really? Uh, yeah. Some places. That's interesting. There's a story there. It, it's a long, it, it's, it was only four months of my life, but uh-huh. it was like, if it, it was filled with so many stories in it that you mm-hmm. can, it's crazy. New York um, time, faster. <laughs> <You know? laughs> faster <right>. time frame. <laughs> right. Um, so what would you tell people who might have a difficult time writing uh, or have a hard time trying to publish a book? Uh, what would you tell people that could inspire them or like um, help them along the way? Uh, because I think a lot of people that want to write books, uh, I, I've thought about it sometimes. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people write books. I don't, I don't, I'm not a great writer, but it's in this day and age, you can get ghost writers, you can get uh, people to help you out and uh, people to help you on the science and stuff like that. Yeah. What, uh, what, what advice do you have from your um, experience? Well, I'd say, first of all, when it comes to ghostwriting, unless it's through a major IP, which is uh, intellectual property, like Disney will hire people to write books for them, stuff like that. Um, If you're looking, unless you're like a celebrity, like if you're looking to have something ghostwritten, I would just say deliver, you probably have a story to tell, but maybe writing's not the form. You know, hiring a ghostwriter is not necessarily the best way to deliver a story, especially... um, I don't know. There's so many other mediums out there now, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is one. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. one medium, video yeah. and podcasting and stuff like that. Um, for people who do like writing, uh, for people who just, you know, they are writers and they want to get break in. Um, you know, this is the thing about writing. Uh, and it applies to not just writing. It applies to pretty much any fields, like even being in the media, being a politician, being an actor, um, anything that has kind of a bit of glamour attached to it, it's hard to break into because there are so many other people who are also trying to break into that same field. And there are a lot of those people have incredible talent. And there are people who are much, much better writers than me who are probably not going to sell. And basically, it part of it is bad luck, but a lot of it is a lot of people can't take rejection. Like they can't take like writing, writing a six book. books and yeah. then the, the one you wrote in one month and yeah. a, a month and a half sold. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know writers who got published after 10 books. And the thing is, it's like you just have to keep trying after after that thing that you love so much doesn't pan out. You just have to keep going for it. And, you know, just don't forget that you like writing, that you would do this anyway that this is your hobby, that you are doing this for yourself, most of all. And as long as you remember that you actually do love this, if you start to forget that you love writing and you start focusing on, I haven't achieved anything or I'm not reaching that goal, then then that's going to be poison to reaching any aspiration, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. With writing, it's just about keep you just keep going. And if you keep going, I mean, my God, you'll have a backlist that you can then try to get published. Or, you know, in my case, what I did with uh, my previous six books is I cannibalized them. I took out things from them that I really liked or characters I liked, and I just reprocessed them and put them in the new books. So, you know, there, there's never a wasted attempt. It's You learn something from every single time. Um, the very third draft, the fir- third mm-hmm. manuscript I ever wrote, I loved that book so much, and I spent about two years writing that, refining it, um, 
join critique groups, etc. I just loved that book. I love those characters. And I planned this elaborate four book series. And I spent so much time focused on that book. And I was I would dream about that book. I was obsessed with that book. And I just knew that that book was going to get published and it was going to lead somewhere. And uh, when I got an agent for that book and I was like, yes, it's happening. And uh, she sent it out to publishers and they all rejected it. And another round, they all rejected it. It happened a third time and just with tiny publishers. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's just timing. So I'm going to write other manuscripts. And with those, I'll sell one of them. I'll get published and then I'll get, show the editor, hey, look at this book that I have. And the editor would go for that book because they'd be like, wow, my gosh, a hidden gem. How did we uh, how did we miss this the first time around? And uh, I was so sure that would happen. So I pounded out a couple books I didn't care about and couldn't sell them, but partly because I couldn't care about them. But the thing is, because I didn't care about those ones that I pounded out next, um, when I got feedback about them, like, oh, this character sucks, or this twist is stupid, blah, 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 I could just rip them apart. I didn't care what I did to them. And I learned a lot about writing from, I learned a lot about how to tell a story from having those throwaway manuscripts. And by the time the night I sold Insignia, I actually went back to that book number three, and I reread it, and it sucked. It, it was not a good book. And there was a reason it hadn't sold. And uh, things I thought were original were not original. And uh, there was a reason the whole time that that book had not gotten somewhere. And when I finally, you know, had, I'd had the distance of years and I'd become a better writer over that time. So, you know, everything, everything you do, it ends up serving some sort of purpose in the long run, you know. I love that. It's so <laughs> inspiring because I think people just don't realize they just need to start. They just need to start. And the fact that you had so much on the back end and you're saying that you're just learning through the process and you learn you learn to overcome the rejection yeah and that is the biggest thing the rejection i mean it it like it really is you know at first it's hard it it's very hard yeah. but the thing is it's you know um something i started doing over time is i would just send out 20 queries and then get a few rejections and out 20 more queries and the queries are basically things where you describe the book you're writing send a writing sample to agents so I got, once you'd gotten so many, once you've received so many no's, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter anymore. It stops. It stops bothering you at all. And actually, that's really good preparation. The fact that it is hard to get published is really good preparation for how a book is received by the public once they read it, once you have been published. Um, I think it's a lot harder for um, someone who who's sold their first, the first book they've ever written and... Uh, broken in right away you know they just wrote something this brilliant tome and suddenly everyone loved it and then they sell it and it gets to the public and then people are like this is this is terrible i hate it you know i think it would hurt a lot more getting feedback on something if you haven't had that process of having to you know harden you get hardened in a way yeah so yeah i love this point in like this they talk about in personal development communities and stuff like mm -hmm. that where it's you're just like rocky you just get punched all the time <laughs> and harden yeah. you know and i think that's amazing through your story that you just brought that up because i think a lot of people don't even talk about that yeah. and there are uh, times where you just get rejected the nose yeah. at the nose failure is a part of success that that is a constant about publishing yeah. it's like even once you once you sell a book once it gets published you'll have the rejection of, say, 
not making the New York Times list, not making a school list, not making a state list, not making, you know, there are tons of different things that your book will not do unless you are, you have struck gold and you're just, you're the Hunger Games. You right. wrote the Hunger Games. May that be different. But I mean, unless you have, it's like winning the lottery. It's very rare to just get everything rolled out for you. That's not going to happen with vast, vast majority of things. A lot of the time it will just sort of disappear. And it's like, if you have already sort of understood the reality of the difficulty of what's ahead, it's yeah. easier. But, you know, even so, I mean, even even with this, like sometimes you can get thrown off anyway, but I just feel it's not as awful as it would be if you just hit it out of the park the first time. Yeah. And so. I'm always, yeah, that that's so interesting. <laughs> I, I, I always talk about uh, what we're doing here at Rock City. I'm just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. Yeah. And you just keep throwing stuff and seeing what happens, you yeah. know? And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But the rejection, it's like <laughs> what you say, hardening you up, punching you in the face. <laughs> and uh, that's amazing. Um, it, did you realize this on your own or were you reading books? And my next question for you is uh, what books uh, would you recommend for people to read? Like, oh. it, it, especially your books, yeah. of course. <laughs> but uh, what, what do books you mean, fiction to help? Or writing books? Either we can go either way. What what um, books would you recommend reading? What well, are some of your all time favorites? One I really liked when I was uh you know getting it when I was focusing more on my writing and I was writing that third book and I was really trying to make it the best it could be. Um, it's called Manuscript Makeover, and um, okay. there's another one. I think it's like writing the breakout novel by Donald Mass. That's a really good one because he sort of dissects the plots of three different books he's repped. He's a literary agent three different books he's represented and he talks about what works, what doesn't. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, and one thing I do, um, I, I'm a big, I love certain TV shows, right? I'll always watch the commentaries by the writers about the episodes they've written because a lot of those plot devices, et cetera, they translate into writing too. I mean, into novel form. And I find it interesting just seeing the thoughts about writers, about, certain things that they have written and trying to learn from that as well. So, you know, but mostly it's just from reading novels that you enjoy. And <laughs> I think that's the best teacher. I mean, I when I'm having a productive writing period, it's usually for some reason, usually at that time, I, I'm reading a lot more a lot, than wow. I tend to when I'm just, I just don't have any ideas. Wow. It, they seem to go together. And I think um, actually On Writing by Stephen King is a really excellent book. Um, and yeah, I think I, I think I've heard of that book. Yeah, it's, it's a famous one by him. Yeah. So, I mean, my God, if anyone yeah. knows about writing a novel, it's Stephen King. And uh, he, uh, you know, he's what was I what was I thinking about on writing hold on <laughs> you're good um I, that's yeah. that's interesting and the fact that you're reading books about how to write yeah. I think I'm I'm trying to hit a uh, line here where like mm -hmm. if you're trying to figure out a skill you should read books and how to figure out that skill and, and well, while also doing it and then maybe it'll just come all together well at least yeah. you'll take tools from what you can and your experiences yeah. i think a lot of people miss out on both some people just read too many books mm -hmm. and some people just work too much on the experience and they don't learn from yeah. uh what happens in their experience and from books and outside sources but you know so. the truth is though i mean everyone everyone kind of has their own path to the right you know everyone kind of needs to figure out their own way if you just cannot stand reading 
that type of book or craft books or anything like that, then don't do it. If obviously there's some reason it doesn't work for you. But I mean, it's just, it's just about figuring out your own, your own means. I mean, that, that was, that was my way of getting there, but right. Yeah. Different people. Yeah. They'll figure out what works for them. Um, I'd say with, uh, when it comes to, there are a lot of online resources and I don't know if I would have gotten published without just access to, there's so much information online now about, you know, basically the logistics of trying to get published, like what agents to query or what agents, because, you know, there are a lot of literary agents. Those are the intermediaries. They, um, they receive your book first. They are the ones who are in contact with publishers. So they're the ones who are able to actually sell your book. You know, you can sell to small publishers without an agent, but it's not going generally it's not going to be someone with the same reach as the publishers that you can reach with an agent. And uh, so there are a lot of things like this website called Absolute Right that um, have I've heard a lot of that. Rights. I've heard of that one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolute Right is fantastic. Um, for example, they have a beware section because there are a lot of illegitimate agents. There are a lot of people who will say they'll represent your book and uh, then they'll Take then try ideas. to charge money. Yeah, or oh they'll... You know, there's there are publishers that will then be like, we'll 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 do your we'll definitely publish your book, and your family can all buy a copy from us, and they're basically just trying to scam your family into buying your family and your friends, and it's not a real publisher. They won't get it into Barnes and Noble. They won't get it any sort of profile. And if you're going to do that, you might as well self-publish because right, yeah, you're doing all the work anyway. <laughs> right. Man, there's scammers even in trying to publish everywhere. books everywhere. everywhere. Really I mean, very, you know, it's kind of a yeah. very uh, resourceful people who know how to make money off of yeah. anyone. So, have you yeah. had to deal with any of that? Um, I wouldn't say that. The very first literary agent I got, um, the first manuscript I actually completed, it was uh, my friends and I co-wrote it when we were right out of college, and we started it as a joke. We were just sort of joking around, but then we both got really into it. And as soon as we finished that, it was kind of like this light bulb going off in my brain because I always, I'd always written as a hobby, but I never realized that I could actually finish an entire manuscript until we'd done that together. Mm. And I think because I was co-writing it with someone, I was like, some of the uh, pressure was taken off me. And but as soon as I'd written that one, I could write the second and then the third, which you know I was really into. But um, we had a, we actually got an agent with that one right away. And I always had this like weird feeling about that agent. And, uh, you know, it turned out. And so we ended up leaving her because she basically didn't get replies from anyone. Because the thing is, anyone can be like, guys, I'm a literary agent. But the thing is, it's like if they're not someone who is set up with a legitimate agency and they don't know editors who will then look at their stuff, they're not an agent. They're not a real agent. This agent um, actually knew another author who had her, who was the only one who sold with her. And this person had not even been sending out most people's books to publishers. She just hadn't been doing anything. And she left all her clients high and dry, like about six months after we were done with her. So she just like disappeared one day and that was it, you know? Oh my gosh. Well, if yeah. you're trying to write a book out there, beware. People get yeah. lazy. They well, try just, to scam you. Just do research. Yeah. Just do research. Um, the thing I would say is also, um, you know, self-publishing, for example, um, with a couple of those manuscripts I didn't sell, when I couldn't sell for a while between Insignia, the Insignia Trilogy, and then Diabolic Trilogy, um, 
I actually just had a pen name and I put out a couple of them just to test the waters with self-publishing how it is. And you know what? I'm a published writer. I I could not get many people to read it. And the thing is, it's like I could have used my pen name and tried it that way. But the thing is, it's like it's one book among millions and millions. Right. And so the thing is, the people who really succeed are people for people who get lucky as with every single other field or people who can self-market really well. But if you can self-market really well, I mean, yeah, you might as well self-publish because if you can get the reach into Barnes & Noble and all these places just on your own, I mean, that's an impressive skill set right there. That's essentially what a publisher, you know, apart from the editing, that's what a publisher does. <laughs> you know, they are the ones who can reach further than you can. So um, I don't know where I was going with that. But well, I think that's amazing, <laughs> yeah. though, that you said that because some people that I know of, especially in I, I know I bring up personal development yeah. and like the six, a bunch of motivational speakers, uh -huh. but they already had an audience and yeah. then they like wrote a book. Mm hmm. If you already have an um, so, audience, yeah. like, yeah, you have a platform and uh, that's kind of everything. It's about visibility. Even once you are published, once you sell, I mean, there's a certain amount of footwork you have to do yourself. And I'm very bad at that. I'm very lucky I have publishers. But, right. uh, you know, the thing is, the authors who really, a lot of them who just do spectacularly are are the ones who have that skill and they have a publisher behind them, you know, right. self-marketing. Well, it, it takes a lot of uh, pressure off you so you just can write. You yeah. know, like the, the marketing and things like yeah. that and actually getting the books written or well printed and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a lot of work. It is. And so, you, you know, you're just strictly the writer and well, you've published your own books. Yeah. I think I think that's great that you tested the waters there yeah. and tried it as well, yeah. self-publishing, yeah. because you don't know. You might have been maybe just with your story. Uh, you know, you're better on just the writing side and working with publishers on another person's story. Maybe they're like, they're okay at writing, but maybe they try with a publisher. It didn't work out. They self publish and it, it does work out. Yeah. Just, just, for, for some people it does, yeah. but you know, the, the thing to consider is just that there are millions and millions right. of books that will be competing with you right. versus something's on a bookstore in a bookstore, it's l much more limited shelf space. And you right. know, it's, um, it's, I think it's almost more, it's more impressive probably if someone is able to just, just go have a blockbuster book if they put it out themselves, because that's, that's really, really hard. Yeah. That I, don't, I don't think a lot of people do that though. Yeah. I think it is through, you know, is, a lot of them are through rare. publishing and stuff. Yeah. But uh, again, The Martian, that's an example that was self-published originally. So, but you oh, know, I didn't he, know that. Yeah. Yeah. He was posting it chapter by chapter on his blog and, um, I've heard that. Yeah. I, I love The Martian, and I, mm -hmm. I've read a lot of these yeah. things you're saying, but then uh, I didn't register. Oh, he's yeah. so full. Okay. And uh, oh. the people who had been following it all along were like, okay, put it on Kindle so we can read the entire thing at once. And he did that, and then, bam. So. Blew up. And then there. he went with the traditional publisher afterwards, but he retained his, I think he retained his ebook rights. So, you know, because he had the grounds to be able to do that. He had the, you know, he had enough sales already. He could uh, kind of set his terms, which is. You know, so they're, they're, again, everyone needs to kind of find their own path. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's a, that's and it plays amazing. into what your strengths are. Yeah. Do you think your books could ever, you do you think your books could ever go to, uh, on film to Hollywood potentially? Um, I feel when I, after I read this, I was like, oh my God, this would be an amazing movie. I'm just saying, I'm throwing it out there. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, the, the rights actually sold to Fox for that Got but um oh, wow. and they were renewed once and then they lapsed and uh with Diabolic the rights sold to Sony 
but they have also left. So, you know, that's the thing. A lot of the time uh, they will buy the rights to something, but um, I don't know. You kind of have to, again, that's something where I don't really understand Hollywood or how any of that works. I think it's just about having the right thing at the right time. A lot of the time they will acquire the rights to a book, but that doesn't mean much necessarily unless unless it's already you know twilight was huge before the right sold harry potter was obviously huge before the right sold and then you've uh, a lot of things that are you know after fault in our stores stars uh by john green that was also pretty big i think yeah before it even came near the movies so um you know once something like once that book sold it paved way for a lot of other and once it did well as a movie paved way for a lot of similar books to also be fast-tracked into production so um i don't know it would be nice it would be kind of cool but uh you know it's it's not something i'm counting on or really if it happens will be a pleasant surprise (laughs) you know yeah yeah and that oh man we just need to get you more popular (laughs) by this book (laughs) because after reading this book a lot of books don't entertain me in such a way and and the the plot line uh, just got so interesting and i think what you're saying you know at the time you're going through nursing school and mental health i could tell like because i i kind of understand mental health but I'm, i'm more interested in it just like from my own experiences person to person and I just related a lot to this book. And so some of the things you're talking about in the book, um, especially page 107, I just remember what um, um, Blackburn was talking about and like how you had to defend yourself against and um, everybody trying to hack your brain or hack their processors and things. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> but uh, it's so interesting. And uh, I think, I mean, I think it has grounds potentially. And that that's, that's really cool that... Uh, that Fox, I mean, at least it got to Fox and Sony and maybe one day you never know. <laughs> yeah. um, that'd be super exciting. So I'm just throwing yeah. it out there. I'm trying to make you think big. <laughs> there <we go>. So, <laughs> yeah. well, you but, know, if I, if I were like connected with Hollywood studios, you know, definitely I'd get in there, but right. you know, right. Well, you're from California. You got, you got to know some people <laughs> north there, of right? California. <laughs> north of California. We're, gotcha. Yeah. We're, we're a little, uh, eight hours North too. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And, uh, eight hours drive. So, okay. So after, uh, to continue on with your story, after you got this book out first and then your other books started, um, you started having some success there and you graduated nursing school, all that took off. Where, uh, what, explain your life around that time. Were you able to travel around a lot? Did, well, it, did it give you a lot more freedom to kind of not have jobs here and there all the time or even go back to school? Well, with, uh, selling this book since I sold it one week before graduating nursing school and I could oh, wow. not, I could barely concentrate the last week. And I took my NCLEX, the nursing exam, right away because I was like, I'm going to forget all of this. Um, I was I was not good at nursing. I was really, um, I, I'm kind of scattered. I forget details, et cetera. So I was like, okay, you know, and uh, all the jobs that were kind of open for nursing were things like acute care or emergency room, which I was like, okay, that's the last thing I should do. Pressure and I don't go all together. So I was like, oh, good. With, with this book, I've, I've, I can pay back my student loans and now I just, I can wait and choose the job that suits me. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was not a good time economically to find one of those jobs quickly. And uh, also the thing is you forget so quickly. You forget yeah. what you're doing. So, um, you know, with, with that... Uh, I just kind of ended up moving 
you know, north of Chicago, near where a lot of people I knew from college were. And I, I stayed there for a couple of years. And then I went back to California and was actually at home for a bit because I was like, okay, I haven't, you know, I'm too rusty with the nursing skills. And I was just about done with the Insignia series. So I was like, okay, I need to sell something else before I have a sense of security and can figure out where I want to live and what I want to do. And um, so, yeah, the books have definitely enabled a certain amount of flexibility. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing because I am someone who, you know, I'll be three months somewhere and then I'll kind of start thinking about going somewhere else. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's a good trait in that I get to see different places, experience different places. But it's a bad one because I'm, you know, a part of what you do uh, over time is you stay some, in one place and you kind of build your roots there. You kind of meet right. people, you right. get to know the community, you, you know. So um, it's having writing as a career has enabled me to try things that I would not have otherwise, um, so far at least. But the thing is writing as a career is also something, it's inherently unstable. You never know. I mean, I mean, I you you don't know if you're going to sell another book. I mean, after Insignia, after that trilogy was done, I wasn't sure if I was going to sell anything else. So, you know. <coughs> yeah, and and um, that's so interesting that you say that because from my traveling around, uh, from where I work at now, uh-huh. I was about to just hop ship after like four months. Like I was just going to keep going and keep trying new places. And that's so interesting that you said that. Um, you know, you want to establish your roots somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people that travel around a lot, they've already accepted the fact that they don't want to right now. But obviously everybody has different values and things like that, right? But that's so interesting that from nursing school where you're just struggling about to pass a test, but you just, you know, published this book and then it sold, you know, first there's so many copies that week. And that's, that's a lot all at once. And that's impressive. I think a lot of people can take inspiration from that where they're, you know, they're doing their main thing and nursing school is not easy, not easy. And so you're just basically doing your project on the side too and like hustling there and just working all the time, it sounds like. That that is so cool. Well, it helps with nursing school actually having the fact that nursing was the thing I was supposed to be doing because it made the writing the fun thing. Like right. the, you know, forbidden thing I'm doing instead of doing studying, instead of learning, you know, which is probably why I wasn't doing it well in nursing school. But, you know, having another thing that's kind of I mean, I, I really, for anyone who is considering being a writer, I mean, I really would encourage, I mean, I, at least in my case, it, it pretty important to have sort of a day job or to have something that is the responsible, the responsible thing you're doing at that time, because it keeps the writing from becoming the work. Yeah. Um, as soon as I start falling into that thing where I think of writing as, okay, this is the thing I have to do, I have to get it done, it, it loses something. You know? Yeah. So. Is there any point in time where you just did writing? Uh, there were, yeah. Yeah, there was a, it was there a good amount. Yeah. And, and, and those it wasn't, it was, it was so much harder. It was a lot. That's it was very so hard. interesting. Wow. So. I think a lot of people don't even realize that uh, no. about writers or even, well, just. Some people make it work. Some people, uh, yeah. as soon as they do that, bam, they're doing eight to five writing. They write through the day and they're, you know, uh, I'm impressed by those people. I don't have that drive that yeah. they do i mean i it's i don't know if i think about something as the work then it becomes the work <laughs> to me psychologically i guess so yeah yeah holy cow um well i think 
what you're talking about there too is just testing the waters. It's it's a logical way of going about it where you have your responsibility, your your job, what you're supposed to do during the day. So you're just not, you know, uh, your bills are going under and you're like sleeping on the floor and eating McDonald's, right? And But having that job um, pay your bills and then doing that thing on the side. And if it doesn't work out, you could try something yeah. else on the side uh, that you might love doing. And that's just really cool. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, and especially just, I'm just so familiar with the motivational ins- and inspiration, like community, mm-hmm. what in-person development community that like a lot of your, what you're saying, this like resonates with what they're talking about. And like yeah. a lot of books, what they write, like Stephen Covey's, uh, um, book, all types, uh, uh this personal development books. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool through your experience that I can just analyze that and see like the different levels oh. and you sit, you know, you had a mentor, yeah, you, you you went through a lot of failure yeah. and then had success. You've also, you were doing so many different things that allowed you to pull things together, look, connecting the dots, yeah. looking back, connecting the dots, looking backwards. So that's really neat. What, is there a specific author that uh, inspired you? I think you already, sorry, I think you already told me. Well, um, um, but that's where about Is there a specific author? Um, yeah, author that inspired you. Besides your sister. I'm trying to think of a specific one because, you know, I know I've talked about this before and there have been people, but it's yeah. been a while since I've uh, thought about it. Discussed it, yeah. Um, you know, there's one, uh, actually, it was, an, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that it was not that inspired me career wise, but uh, there was this author um, named Susan Kay, and she wrote a book called Legacy, and it was about life of elizabeth the first from birth to death and uh it was novel and it was historical fiction and it was kind of like it was just i i first read it in seventh grade and um my sister had left it in our bathroom at home (laughs) and so i picked it up and i couldn't stop reading it and uh it was just an incredible incredible novel and i reread it like 40 times probably and i read pretty much everything else about that period i'd had kind of no I hadn't been a really motivated student or really with any intellectual interest until that time when it kind of woke me up to just being interested in history and just how the world worked and, you know, the dynamics of power or whatever else. And, um, you know, and that author, I mean, that's someone who I can actually say really changed my life in a way. Um, I, before nursing school, originally had majored in history and it was partly because of just you know, that's how I became interested in history. So um, I'd say that that author kind of made me realize that writing can really have an impact on someone. I mean, it's it could just be the right book at the right time. And um, yeah, so just being in a position at all to, you know, have someone spend hours with something that you've created. I mean, that's it's an extraordinary thing. And yeah, it's a it's a privilege. So, I don't know if that answers the question. No, yeah, that, I think it does. And um, uh, from your uh dream of being an astronaut and uh working now in uh space uh space things, where where are you looking at for a lot of the space history? Uh, to go in, I I haven't read Diabolic. Is that I'm? I'm it's sure. also in space. Okay, that's also <laughs> yeah. in space, More and this spacey. is also in space. So yeah, yeah. Where are you uh thinking about um? what you're doing now and falling into maybe a book series if you don't mind me asking well uh, i think i am gonna stick with science fiction because yeah. um i don't know part of because there were so many things that like 
you know, I mean, a lot of probably how I view the world probably came from really loving Star Trek as a kid. And right. just, you know, I always took for granted when I was younger that we were eventually going to become an intergalactic uh, civilization and, you know, go to the stars and colonize other worlds and meet aliens, you know, stuff like that. I took that for granted. And um, as I grew older, I kind of realized that a lot of other people didn't take that for granted. And like a lot of people are like, why, why are we? <laughs> a lot of people don't take that same thing for granted. And they're like, you know, why, uh, why do we spend money on NASA and stuff like that? And, uh, you know, so part of, part of what I would hope to do with my career is just to interest like kids who haven't really been exposed to science fiction or haven't read much about space. I mean, I, I would consider it a really good use of my career if I help interest young people in yeah. all the possibilities we have up there. You know, because I, I've, you know, I'm, I feel like a lot of, there are so many ways to just sort of fixate on things that are wrong with the world today and wrong with our society and stuff. Just, but you kind of have to have that element of hope that there could be something better. And I feel like space is the most powerful possibility that we have ahead. I mean, it's infinite. <laughs> and, you know, and there, there's, it's, there's so much we don't know. There are so many mysteries up there that are just unknown to us. And so I try to explore in the stories just what is up there or what could happen with, you know, this entire galaxy around us. And uh, so I think I'm going to keep writing that sort of thing over time. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, obviously, you're a writer, so you know how to say it better <laughs> than I could. But... That's amazing, and I agree with you there in the fact that you, I think your books are inspiring that uh, narrative, and yeah, we should hope for better, because we do focus on a lot of bad stuff. I mean, the news is always about bad stuff, bad stuff all the time, and there's so many cool things, though, if you look at space news or what's happening now. Yeah. Um, as you dream as an astronaut when you were younger, do you think you'd be an, you, you, you'd have the potential to potentially go into becoming an astronaut if somebody asked you to or there's if the opportunity asked me to, i'd, I'd yeah. do it oh yes um i probably wouldn't for example go to mars if it meant staying there for life because gotcha. i i don't trust myself not to just you know miss rain miss being able to take a walk outside stuff like that but uh yeah. if 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 i could oh yeah i would and you know so that's another ulterior motive i kind of want more kids to get interested in it so that they grow up figure out some genius way of getting us into space for nothing and then making space tourism a thing so I can then go to space. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you guys build the hotels uh -huh. yeah, yeah. and I want to stay up there. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. If young, future inventors, maybe I could <laughs> get yeah. them focused on how we can get up there. Well, so. well, that's a really good way to put it too because I think uh, some people might um, want to do this field or that field. Mm -hmm. And then they, they learn, like, for my example, where I fail calculus and like, well, engineering's not really good for me, I guess, because I don't like calculus at all. But you could do other things uh, still related to that field, mm -hmm. uh, like running a podcast for it or even mm -hmm. writing books for yeah. it or um, um, inspiring kids and working in different places. And um, so many things you write a blog i mean there's so many things you could do other youtube channels talk yeah. about space yeah. and oh, uh, pr neil, departments and other yeah neil, De neil degrasse tyson yeah right. misho kaku like those guys right? i mean they sorry i'm just making sure my hair's not all weird because i pushed this word uh they 
they have such great ways of explaining things that make sense to people like me who do not know. <laughs> yeah. They explain it in the a different in-depth way. The in-depth science. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just even stuff like that, that's just that, that does it. You know, it kind of lights up those parts of the brain and gives you an idea of the possibilities. So, yeah. yeah. And not every engineer, I think, and like NASA employee knows how to relate to other people in a way or explain yeah. it the proper way to other people. How, you yeah. know, everybody has different perspectives, right? A lot of the time, so. if you just understand that stuff in depth, you might not have, that's the part of the brain that's just really built up and you don't necessarily have the articulation to communicate that so it's like right. you know when it comes to everyone having different strengths i mean you know it's extraordinary when people have those two skills coupled together they can do both yeah yeah well i think we have a very similar goal in life mm -hmm. because we just want to put people up there yes in outer space so we can go to outer yes. space too and take us there oh my gosh <laughs> yeah <the> diabolical plan <laughs> let's do it all right um, uh, you kind of already answered my next question, but I was curious about if you would go to Mars, mm -hmm. would you? <laughs> but obviously you just said if it's a one-way trip, no. But what yeah. if it wasn't? If it wasn't a one-way trip, oh, yeah, in a second, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I think they'd want people with better eyesight. <laughs> with better eyesight? My better eyesight's eyesight. horrible, too. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Really? You wear contacts? No, I don't, but uh, I, it's definitely declining, and I know, oh, no. I, I know it's not 420 or Sorry, twenty. Well, if you're not wearing contacts right now and you can still see, you're you're. It's it it's definitely declining. Good. You're probably using your cell phone a lot. I don't even think it's that. Um, I I don't even know what it really is. I did a lot of construction with my dad, and oh, yeah. uh, that messed up my hearing, eyesight. Yeah. Uh, sawdust is getting your eyes. Oh. I mean, yeah, all types of stuff. So yeah. it's declining over time. But that's why I was like, ah, being an astronaut or even just in the military or something like that. Well, they have apparently a way of doing LASIK surgery now that doesn't cause the tiny little scars on your retina. I heard about that. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not too familiar with what yeah. it can do. I thought about that too, where I know if I get better sleep, I see better. It's really weird. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's like blood flow to your cornea or something. Yeah, maybe it's blood flow. Yeah. It's what you eat and the different right. vitamins you get. I'm not even really, I don't know <laughs> the details, but I know that it's probably there. I'm not I'm not having the right things to make it better. But it is what it is. Um, I would also go to Mars if I could. Yeah. I think in our lifetime, we actually talked about this in the uh, uh, last uh, episode uh, when we had uh, Dustin on. He mm -hmm. talked about space hotels and that they're already talking about space hotels by 2025. Oh my gosh. Um, that awesome. company's really trying to do it. So we'll see if that really happens. That's kind of, mm. I think it's very, uh, um, it's very, uh, uh, you can look at it pessimistically, like realistically, can we put hotels up there in five years from now? But we, we, by the end of the decade or even the next 20, 30, 40 years, for sure. Yeah. And so I'm telling you, we're, it's already working. <laughs> I think a lot of it, yeah. though, is just about the will to do it. You know? Yeah. If we, if we were just, yeah. In a, if, if Soviet Union was around now and we were in a space race with oh them, my we, we'd gosh. get to Mars in two years. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that we'd be able to figure it out and yeah. get it done. But it's just it's just about having the will there. Yeah. You know, which I think to some extent would, you know, depends upon the public recognizing just or everyone recognizing just how many what we could do out there. Um you know, people always talk about, you know, scarcity of resources here. And it's like, we don't have it if you look at this. If you look at everything. Yeah. yeah. If you look at just the obtainable solar system, I mean, there are so many things that we could do that would help us out in the long run. And uh, even just learning to sort of 
render somewhere like Mars more habitable for human life, like we could learn ways just through developing resources that way. Like, like we could learn things that we could help do to help Earth with, you know, our whatever happens in the future here. So, I think you hit on such a good point. Yeah. I'm trying to preach this to a lot of people all the time because people are like, why would you want to go to Mars? Who cares? I'm like, the reason we went to the moon and we have all that technology from the moon and to help uh, create so much, so many different technologies here on Earth. I mean, even in the shuttle program, we're going to low Earth orbit. But if we really try to go to Mars, I think you're hitting on a really good point there. I mean, there's so much CO2 on Mars, too. Like, what if we could optimize yeah. that, use that technology to optimize it, use it for other things, split it yeah. and take it away, um, turn it into oxygen, water, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're like, OK, we just figured out how to take CO2 out of the air and use it for different resources. Let's put it down here on yeah. Earth and fix global warming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think you hit on a strong point there. That's why I'm always I'm so interested in space because it drives so many new technologies yeah. into the market and new economies. And not just that, it's like we're we're all on one planet. Yeah. At some point something can happen. There could be yeah. Okay, we you wait several billion. Uh you wait a billion years, the sun's going to already sort of be hot enough that it's going to be impossible for human life. And yeah, I mean odds are we might not be around in a billion years but still if you look at it in the long run it there's an inevitable end to humanity i mean as long as we're on one planet i mean assuming yellowstone doesn't erupt or an asteroid doesn't hit or something like that there's so many don't scare possible, them now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so many possible things that could go wrong with all of us on a single planet or with undeveloped technology where we haven't really figured out how to avert catastrophes and so it's like that's where that's why it's important that's why the space program is important it is essential to our survival when it comes down to it for everyone you know it's not just one continent it's not about pride for one group of people it's it is in the long run it is the best for humanity it is the best thing to focus upon and you know. I totally agree with that. I mean, we can, you can dive down the rabbit hole and so many of the, the things you just talked about and the different problems. I'm not trying to scare you away. I know we're talking <laughs> about positive things. Come back, audience. We want you to still build us space <laughs> hotels. But yeah, like um, um, our radio or the hydro bomb and our radioactive rate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> tripping on my words. What do you call it? A radio. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. Radioactive? Radioactive. Yeah radioactive plants yeah 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 no they're called something else aren't they uh, nuclear nuclear reactor. oh my gosh oh, don't i <laughs> totally forgot that word huh <laughs> nuclear power and just that technology somebody was explaining to me that's unfinished like it, yeah. it shouldn't be totally blowing up like that because eventually it should evolve to nuclear fusion oh yeah that's more yeah. efficient yeah. that's what the sun actually does i've heard like uh if you had a fusion fission reactor, like yeah. it wouldn't have a, a hybrid fusion fission, it wouldn't have the risk of like melting down or something. Like it yeah. would, yeah. I mean, the thing I always worry about with our our nuclear power plants is that um, you knock out, like, let's say for some reason power gets knocked out for ten days. You know, like really powerful solar flare or an EMP happen. Like you would have after ten days, they would start melting down. They would. I think Fukushima is something similar happened there. So it's like, you know, but if you progress the technology just a bit, that would kind of alleviate that risk, at least as far as I understand. So no. Yeah. yeah. And I I remember a show talking about they like take it's 
there's a bunch of scenarios that are thrown at Earth where like it's the end of the world and like they took all oh, the humans out of it. Yeah. Out of the world, like they all just disappeared for some reason. The nuclear reactors would be the biggest thing because yeah, they yeah. would melt life down. Life after man, I think. Yeah, life after, yeah. maybe that's what it was. And um, the radi- the radiation poisoning would just spread everywhere around the world because of all the nuclear reactors. And that, I mean, that's scary. But the fact that our technology there isn't perfected, like it should be perfected. The sun eventually hits, nu- a part of it, or I can't remember exactly, and its cycle hits nuclear fusion and then, it, it starts. It burns energy. through its hydrogen, and then right. it's going to start getting hotter and hotter. Right. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So in a billion years, it's going to be. I think it's already going to be uncomfortably hot. If not, I think in a billion years from now, it's going to start being. Around a billion, we have yeah, we have a good amount of time. It's not a Fine. red giant for like three billion years, but you know. Okay. It once once it is once it runs through all its hydrogen, it starts expanding and. That's when it's going to destroy the Earth and Mars and Venus and Mercury. Yeah. So, yeah. Unless we, like, control it if we figure out the technology. That's just saying. By just time, saying. But by the time <laughs> we can actually control the sun and, you know, maybe refuel its hydrogen, I mean, we'll, we would be at a stage where we'd have Europa colonized and, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be Star Wars. Yeah, sure. that would Star be Star Trek. Wars. That would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I, I like to talk about a lot um, – and a lot of people debate me with global warming on this. I, d- I just want to point, I like to point this out more because it scares me more yeah. because asteroids and just meteors coming by our planet all the time to yeah. potentially destroy us and end us. We only see like a third of the night sky. And a lot of the them we sky. see at the last minute, you know? Yeah. They're like, oh, by the way, we saw an asteroid like a day before it came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that is scary and it's legitimately something that could be i mean dinosaurs they'll tell you or they would tell you yeah and i they think could. i think right <laughs> <laughs> they could tell you yeah. <laughs> and i think almost like wait we can only see a third of the night sky you can't put more telescopes around earth or you know, observatories so around big. earth and telescope yeah it's so big and so many of them they'll be coming from the direction uh, they'll swing around the sun and they'll be coming from the direction of the sun so we can't see right. there's the glare that's just simply right yeah i think i think though that issue i think we could solve it i really do i'm like let's yeah. just put more telescopes up there yeah. come on more powerful ones let's just keep throwing them out the, up there and let's like find out where all these things are coming from you're yeah. telling me we can't map them all yeah. and a lot of people oh you just said a lot of people don't know that there's so many that pass us every yeah. day there's one, I mean, I have uh, one news channel that just keeps hit me with new asteroids that like the one hit uh, the Caribbean recently. And if it, if it missed and went like to New York City, it probably would destroy New York City. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, oh my God, does nobody realize this? It's like. Well, I think at some, to some point you kind of just have to be like, okay, that's bad, but I'm not going to think about it because you can't do anything, right, but right. we can. Right. So that's, that's the difference. It is something where we could. We really, really, you know, but I feel like it's almost something it's, we're probably going to have to have it actually impact us in some way for people to take to it seriously. To really care and yeah. take it serious. I mean, yeah. that seems to be how things yeah. work in a way. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's crazy how that works. Another, another part of that though is like, okay, you got the telescope, you can see it coming. What are you going to do now? But we have ballistic <laughs> missiles and maybe we can mine it and do, do Armageddon. Yeah. I mentioned Armageddon already twice in the episodes <laughs> on Rock City Podcast. I just I love that movie. But uh, yeah, um, my gosh. I feel like we're writing, you know, we're going down uh, the thought process of science fiction novels <laughs> and what you, you probably think about in those 
novels. This the the story in here takes such a. I never even thought about a lot of the situations in this, and, oh, yeah. and it talks a lot. Well, a lot of people are talking about how VR and just putting microchips in your head and AI. I wasn't very familiar with all that, oh, um, yeah. and so that's why I loved about this series. And it gets you thinking, like, what? And and when you look at the technology that's being developed, it's like, what's really going to happen there? Yeah. You know? Well, it, you know, it's interesting. I had kind of a different thought about a lot of it when I wrote that. Okay. Originally, I mean, I was more pro the idea of computers in your brains when I wrote that because I was like, you know, it could be that there's so much potential. We could do so much if we could just, yeah, you know, enhance ourselves in a certain way. And, you know, but it's like just the last few years the way i've technology has kind of progressed i just find it more alarming now the idea that you know of that sort of technological intrusion into the mind because i just feel you couldn't really trust anyone who's in charge to not abuse that you know or censor people and stuff like that so i don't know i think i think it's probably coming because people have so integrated technology with just you know, whenever you're at a standstill or people are just have an idle time, there people will be on their phones. I'll be on my phone, you know, and right. it's it's so infiltrated our lives that I think it's kind of inevitable. It's going to be in a way. It's already kind of AI. I mean, yeah. you can you can pick up your phone and you know go to the internet, and yeah. it, that is your <laughs> microchip already kind of in your head. You yeah. know, you just access the internet, but it's on your phone. <laughs> yeah, but I I don't I I think that's probably coming pretty a lot sooner. I think recently they just put the first person that's uh the first person got microchipped. Really? Like they put, yeah, they put a microchip oh, in his head. I, I heard about this recently. In his head, what to do? What? Uh, I I don't. I know I, with some people like the with the epilepsy and stuff, they have ways to. Yeah, Dylan, can you pull that up for us? And maybe look yeah. into it a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've, I heard that recently, and when I was like reading this book, it made me think about that too. But he talks. So you said you were for it more I, while well, you write it, but I he was, debates that it's it's a it's well, a yeah. main. I was you know I was like oh there's so much potential benefit from this that and uh, it's like okay so you'd have to explore the downsides and and sh- you know protect against the downsides but I just feel like in the last few years just seeing how Facebook intrudes on your privacy how they kind of you know I. I have much more skepticism now that there would be any possibility of exploring the upsides without the downsides really i mean i just the thought of mark zuckerberg having you right. know any sort of reign over how your brain works would just be horrifying you know just yeah i i don't know i just with the internet it had a few years where it's kind of its own thing and everyone was just discovering this free information and just you know, it only had a few years before it kind of started getting clamped down upon and really just channeled through a few companies. And I really worry about the possibility of anything like that once it comes to actually compromising your mind. Right. You know. Okay. That's, so that's interesting. In uh, 2006, we actually had somebody implanted uh, with the able the ability to be able to control a computer cursor. Uh, it says. With their brain? I'll move it over here. Was it a paralyzed person? Yes, it was. So oh, that's, yeah. it's see, up there that's right now. It's pulling up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. So the first person with spinal cord paralysis to receive a brain implant that allowed him to control a computer con- or a computer cursor, Matthew Nagel. 
and I see that right now. that sort of thing that's incredible and that's the yeah. potential and that was in 2006 yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh we were able to do that 14 years ago this book is coming real in my head <laughs> um i think a lot of things happen in science fi- like so i talked about in science fiction and then it actually happens like in star trek they actually had a cell phone at one point in one of the episodes, I can't remember which one. I you you're more familiar with it. Well, they had communicators that they'd use, like okay, talk to yeah. They, and I guess those little flip communicators that they'd use talk to each other instantly. It, yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it kind of like. Um, they had you know what they phone. had? They had pads. They and these little okay. um, pads that they'd use as their computers. And iPads are actually smaller than those now. So you know, they're like, wow, okay, that happened. That came to life. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, oh so. my gosh. But the thing is, again, was science fiction was uh, i'm you know someone could see that and then sort of start getting the idea for that device in real life and so that's kind of the cool part about fiction yeah you can inspire stuff that doesn't exist yet so. yeah i mean la- i know lasers and just a lot of the ships are like ship designs for airplanes and stuff came all. i mean it, you could attribute a lot of things to science fiction yeah. and so it's a really it's a really really cool uh, area and topic to talk about but back on how like so how scary but how cool i think eventually everybody talks about it has to go to ai right yeah but your book touches on the aspect where humans and ai combine and that's a huge thing a lot of people are like is it gonna be like terminator you know (laughs) ai where they fight us yeah michio kaku i remember seeing one of was it him or was it ray kurzweil i don't know how to pronounce his name k-u-r-z-w-e-i-l i think right uh, okay yeah. thank you <laughs> okay yeah where they, where they were talking about okay the possibility of just there's the idea of the singularity um the idea that you'd create a computer advanced enough to create a computer even more advanced because it would be created by something that exceeds the human intellect and then that would create a computer more advanced at some point technology would be able to just exponentially improve itself or and uh i think it might have been it was either ray curse ray or michio kaku who i remember seeing them talk about how um like you know integrating humans with computers that way we would become infinitely more advanced along with them instead of having this ai overlord at some point you know that yeah yeah i like the idea that um that we the only way for us to be able to keep up with AI is that we have to interbreed with AI. <laughs> well, it's like well, this book talks about how it kind of starts first, where we we put micro you know microchips and disk computers in our brains, and then they're the they're the advanced form first, yeah. and they're the they're the ones of that are controlling the battles and. Uh, the, 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 there's a lot of espionage and politics involved and it gets crazy. And so that's what I love about this. And I think is even, it, it seems more practical to me because, um, for me, in my opinion, I don't think we can make a human brain right now with computers. Obviously computers no. have something no. over us, right? They have unlimited memory and stuff like that, but yeah. your consciousness, consciousness, we can't even understand that yet. Yeah. So and and they think they have a bunch of theories about how and I think it's going to take another I think it's going to take another hundred years almost to really develop consciousness in the computer aspect. I know that's a very that's a very (laughs) out there opinion. You do have to wonder, though. I mean, everything essentially comes down to like uh, individual particles. Well, 
atoms becoming molecules that lead to brain cells. And between these brain cells, these simple single-celled things being able to, between them, the electrical and chemical signals form our consciousness. If you were able to duplicate every tiny component somehow, like electronically or right. like how, how wouldn't you be able to create a brain? Do you think it, do you think it has to though come slightly biological in that aspect? Cause it, it's working biologically, but there might, I'm just pointing out there, maybe yeah. there's a trip up though amongst. Uh, yeah. When, I mean, the, there's the so much we yeah. don't know. Yeah. There's so much we don't see about yeah. we, we perceive such a narrow, for example, when we're looking around, we're seeing a narrow perspective. Of, we're seeing a narrow range of light. We don't see ultraviolet, for instance. Like we only see a narrow range. We only hear a narrow range. We only perceive right. a narrow fragment of the universe that's around us. You know, so what we seek to explore, what we seek to study, is often what we can perceive, what we can even conceive of. And so there, there could be a lot more that we just we just are completely unaware exists that you know plays into all these biological processes and yeah whatever else so you know maybe maybe it isn't possible i mean but maybe it is <laughs> which would be a little yeah, scarier which so. i think a good point maybe it is maybe it isn't yeah um I, I'm going to bet maybe it isn't because we don't know. And so it's yeah. going to be harder. Ex unless we'll probably that machine, see. We'll probably see, but unless, that, unless the machine figures it out before us. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think it will. <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I, don't, I, don't, I think it's hard to duplicate what we have here. We don't, we don't even understand this yet. Yeah. We're questioning this thing we call a brain. We're questioning <laughs> it already. And, you know, yeah. you should. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah. It, it, we have, I think we definitely have a. Um, you know, some people argue just with the uh, speed with which computers have advanced in just the last two decades. I mean, if you look at Mir, the space station, it had less memory than a cell phone, you know, right. and just that was the cutting edge at that time. And just, you know, some people argue that we're kind of already in the singularity in a way. So that's um, interesting that you say uh, that. I never yeah. even really thought about that. Yeah. That so, we're already in the singularity. And a lot of people already accept the fact that it's going to happen. No. Um, and they're already, I mean, they're already just building machines and programming more and more. And they're just like, yeah, it's going to happen anyway. We're just going to keep <laughs> contributing to it and violating our privacy and security online, and, no. which is a huge thing and all that. <laughs> but will be interesting. I mean, we, we have an interesting time ahead, I think. Yeah. <laughs> in a good and bad way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And um, in this book, so there's three, right? Three, uh, three insignias, and three then insignias. diabolic. There are two published, and then okay. number three is coming. Yeah. Do you this want this year? It should be. Do you want to talk more on that? <laughs> okay. Shall we, shall we go into so, that? Yeah. Her, she is announcing something amazing <laughs> on the podcast well, <laughs> today. You probably already announced it. Well, um, diabolic three. Uh, so I just got it up, copy edit. So I'm going to work on that. Um. Diabolic 3, I mentioned that the second Insignia book, Vortex, took me a while to write. Um, and I thought Diabolic 2 was easy enough to write. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, it was a little tricky, but every book is tricky. But uh, I thought I was past that. I thought that wasn't going to happen again. And then with Diabolic 3, when I wrote out, I'm a planner. I like to know what's going to happen mm. in my book. So uh, when I wrote out what I'd planned for Diabolic 3, it was not working. It was really, really, I was really struggling with that story. And uh, when I wrote it, it was just, 
it didn't work. And uh, I sent it to my editor and he's like, uh, yeah. And so he kind of agreed with me there. So it's just, it's like, oh man, I have to completely rethink this book. So I've been actually very delayed with Diabolic 3 because um, what I did next is I just was like, I have to just try something completely out of left field, something that's just absolutely different from what I had in mind. And um, so I did with Diabolic 3. I wrote a different draft entirely. And um, so just uh, I'm going to have a little bit of spoilers for Diabolic 2. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so Diabolic 2. So there are two main characters in the Diabolic. Um, it focuses upon a galactic empire. And there's the main character, Nemesis, who is this genetically engineered uh, bodyguard for people for basically uh, where they are bonded for life to just one member of this elite aristocracy in this galactic empire and the other main character is tyrus who is uh in the first book he is the heir to the empire and now i'm going to go in spoilers in the second book he is the galactic emperor and um basically the way things develop with nemesis and tyrus is by the end of the second book they are enemies and tyrus has sort of become this corrupted emperor so um when i was writing diabolic three all right. Uh, you know, so I had this scenario between these two characters. And so the first thing that I planned on writing, it was not working. So I just had to completely rethink it. So I was like, okay, what if Nemesis is just enraged in this book and she just wants revenge? And so I, I decided to just go out and write that draft. And I was having a lot of fun writing. I was like, yeah, she just goes on a rampage, a killing rampage across the galaxy and just abandons all morality. And, you know, I had her kill off most of the other characters in the book and then, you know, oh take gosh. over the empire, become galactic dictator, essentially, and, you know, just... That's a Pretty huge spoiler. <laughs> well, this is what I planned. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what you not plan. what I planned. Oh, Sorry. Okay. This is the second draft, the okay. out of left field one. Gotcha. And she just takes it over, becomes dictator, and then blah, blah, blah you know, ended it. And uh, then I sort of read it, and I was like, oh my God, she's just too evil in this. She's evil. You know, <laughs> can't have her be this evil. So I um, told She's worse it down. than Hitler. <laughs> she was really, really bad. She just was like, it was so much fun to write, but she was she was just too evil. What is it saying about you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it says about me. <laughs> I like you got that. It's all good. That's it was funny. a lot of fun to write, That's but awesome. it was just I was just kind of aghast when I read it afterwards. I was done. And so I toned it down a lot and sent it to my editor and he's like, She's just too evil. And I was like, No, she's still too evil, no. So I had to just throw that one away too. She'd been like, Hey, you should have saw this one. <laughs> You'd be like, Whoa, what did what? Actually I, I may I may show it one day <laughs> in the distant future. <laughs> A morbid all evil alternate universe. But yeah. uh anyway, so then I threw that away and then I sort of it was like writing that hideous hideous uh, evil second draft it kind of it kind of loosened something in my brain I figured out how to make the first plan that I'd had how to make it work you know and I knew it I knew how to do it and I was kind of like okay I, I get it I have the dynamism of the plot back and I can make it function the way it is so um essentially yes uh that is what has caused a slight delay so it's been about two years instead of one year with getting diabolic three out um so yeah that is what's been happening with that book <laughs> gotcha but 
eventually it'll come out and that sounds like an amazing series <laughs> i'm going to get into oh. for sure because that sounds great <laughs> and i want to see i have to see it now i gotta read it to see how diabolical it is <laughs> it was a little too diabolical in that that <laughs> second attempt <laughs> so yeah um i know J.R. tolkien he has they talk about where he, he has a lot of edits in like the hobbit and you can find like the original version but they had to edit a lot of it out oh really um do you save your old drafts i save everything yeah, yeah every uh, um usually i try to save a copy every time i've written for the day so a different yeah. copy and which can be a real pain because sometimes i'll just be very indecisive and keep going back and to the older version or to the previous thing or cutting in okay let me take that scene that i discarded and put it back in but um it's you know it's scary not to save yeah different copies of it so you know you can get really entangled in the process but yeah you well, just have to figure out your own way. <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, I was just thinking, man, when you're on stage one day and you have to like talk about the book, possibly where they're like, hey, how did the original? Where did this originally come from? Well, originally, this person was like Stalin-like and wanted to destroy mass genocide, everything. But I had to tone that down. <laughs> that, that's not too far off, actually. Uh, but you know, it's like it's like looking back. I. I I've reread it a couple times. I'm like, what was I thinking? I can't write her this way. But I think it was a necessary attempt to kind of. Yeah. It's a part of the journey. Yeah. It was, it was a necessary yeah. exploration of what not to do. Like, but yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so where uh, can people reach you? Uh, 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 social I'm media on, wise. Um, I occasionally post on Twitter, but mostly I'm on Instagram. Okay. And uh, Instagram, I post on SJ Kincaid Books. That's my handle. Okay. So, cool. Yeah. And she also has a website. And on, I'm on Tumblr, SJ oh, Kincaid Tumblr. Books. Right. So, but I have like five people who follow me there. So for some reason, it doesn't really. I don't post there much. So I don't remember the last why. time I used Tumblr. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's cool though. <laughs> I never used it at its height, and so. <laughs> you never know. There's a there's a thing where a lot of people are circling back through like. The, the, the people who used to like be on tumblr they like got out and then they're like oh, i'm gonna go back on there and look at right. into it you never know you can find a little niche oh, no, my space is gonna come back <laughs> <laughs> i i think my space no was it napster i don't remember napster, oh, napster. napster. no napster was the music thing uh what was that? i thought napster had a little comeback recently i don't napster, remember really exactly. yeah i i think somebody i might be wrong don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know i heard something somewhere but okay. <laughs> I'll so, look into it. <laughs> well, yeah. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? Um, and so you have six, five books. Five published? books out and five one out, coming. One coming on the way. Should be this year. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Ixing, Ixing. Yeah, it'll be this year. It'll, it'll be, be this year. year. Yeah. I'm gonna hold you on that. Twenty twenty, the sixth book come out. Ixingnia, and I loved it. I highly recommend it. All right, and. and uh, could you call up a picture of the diabolic? Yeah, let's bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Sure about your book, Dylan. That's the current one. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I gotta go on you, Dylan. I was, I was, I was going to bring the book that you gave <laughs> me, Shelley. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's all good. I could have. I, I should have brought one. You know, I didn't think of it. It's all good. We'll pull it up. I'll. Uh, we'll put it in the video feed. Okay. But uh, yeah, diabolic Xenia and there it is. It's beautiful. Oh. It is amazing. It. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Who does your uh, artwork? 
Yeah. <laughs> do you do nature. your own? <laughs> oh. Oh, you've been, uh, actually, it was done by people at Simon & Schuster. So, okay. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Did you get to choose, though? Um, or they're like, nah, this is going to be it. <laughs> honestly, I don't have much of a sense of what makes a good cover. So okay. generally, I like them. Um, I did suggest, I strongly suggested a cover for the third book. So I haven't seen what they'll do with that yet. But my editor's fantastic. He's awesome. So he uh, he agreed that it was a good idea. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. You know, Diabolic 3. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for being on. That was thank amazing. You. Oh, no. Thank you. That was a great so, interview. So, go check her out. We're going uh, to link her to this video. And, uh, well, and if you're listening <laughs> audio, uh, we'll have her link there, too. And so, thank you so, so much for coming on, like I said. And uh, maybe you'll come back on and yeah. <laughs> when you release your next book. Okay, yeah. And we'll, we'll present that then and talk about that. Awesome. And then I'll be all read up on that. And then I'll, I'll ask you some entertaining questions about okay. the original version. <laughs> okay. Be like, yeah. So, what was this person supposed to do? <laughs> was she going to just do genocide all of Earth? <laughs> and stuff like that. So, well, alrighty. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Was that fun? Yeah, that was great. Yeah.